0: Uh, This has been a wild week, a wild ride of emotions uh, for us as a church, for me uh, in particular. Uh, This past Sunday was amazing. If you were with us this past Sunday, it was our 10th anniversary as a church. So many of you were here. Uh, So many of you ate hamburgers and hot dogs and food. Wasn't it great, all those guys cooking out there? Wasn't that awesome? (laughs) And we had games. And the volunteer fair went amazing. Uh, We had over 380 people take a step toward getting involved in serving in some way that they're not currently doing, which is awesome. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's probably actually about as many or maybe more people that are in this room right now. That doesn't even include all the people who are normally serving. And so just really cool to be able to celebrate uh, 10 years and to to do that together. Um, But then Monday morning, we got word that that uh, that Sunday night, our good friend and uh, close friend to me... Mentor of mine, uh, Tom Schrader, had passed away. And uh, I had known it was coming. Actually, about 10 months ago, I got the word that Tom was experiencing congestive heart failure and that his health was really significantly declining and had the opportunity after that to tell him personally how much he meant to me. But we knew that at some point in this next year, he was probably going to go to be with the Lord. And then um, I got word Saturday, last Saturday, that hospice had been called and that it was imminent. And so I wasn't surprised, but I was sad when we got the word. I was actually at our elder meeting and I got the word that, that Tom had passed. Um, and so uh, we're going to take a break today from the brand, yeah, we're already taking a break from the series that we started last week. We're going to take a break um, and we're going to reflect on God's grace to us through Tom. Now, I know this is weird, especially if this is your first time with us. You're like, what happened? Um, And so come back next week. Um, But I also think you'll get a good feel for kind of what matters to us uh, through this today. So embrace the awkwardness of, of this a bit, but... And uh, you'll get a taste, and then, and then come back and do join us. Uh, if you would like to be part of the official uh, celebration of Tom's life, it's going to be in a couple weeks. It's going to be um, February 2nd at 10 a.m. That's a Saturday, at, uh, February 2nd at 10 a.m at Scottsdale Bible Church, they have like twice the seating capacity of any of our redemption locations, and uh, Tom had some good relationships there, so that's a fitting place for us to do the service, but that's coming uh, February 2nd, and uh, would love to have you join us for that as well. The reality is, I would not live in Arizona right now, and Redemption Church Gateway would not exist without Tom Schrader. Uh, my history uh, with Tom is, is pretty extensive. I moved to the Valley in 2002, and I moved here to go to East Valley Bible Church, which was the church that Tom had founded in 1991. Now that's Redemption Church Gilbert. So I, I, I moved from Illinois to here to be part of that church. Now, I had never been to a service at that church, which is kind of stupid to move across the country to a church you've never even attended. Uh, but I had a friend here, and I had heard about what God was doing. And what I'd heard was that there was this kind of ordinary guy who was preaching the gospel, and many people were getting saved, and there was this heart, this intentional effort to develop leaders and this vision to plant new churches and, and do things. And I went, you know what? I'm, I'm curious. Maybe I'm called to ministry. I don't know, but I'm, I'm curious about maybe being a pastor Let's go out and just be part of it. And so I got a job uh, you know, selling software, and my wife taught school, and we just volunteered and just kind of got involved to try to see what might happen. Sixteen years later, I'm still here, and a lot of it, as I said, has to do with Tom. My, my first uh, real memory of interacting with Tom was when I helped him move, he and his uh, late wife, Susan, I'd helped them along with some other folks that were part of the college ministry. We helped them move from their house in Tempe to their house in Gilbert. And, uh, you know, so I, I, my first experience was this. I, was, I remember carrying in a, their coffee table, which was this nice coffee table. I mean, I, it was like adult furniture, you know, like... You're out of college, you're like, there's a difference between real furniture. There was real furniture. And uh, I was carrying it in the house, and I, you know, I, I don't need any help. And I got it. I got it. And so I'm carrying it in, and the, the legs, you know, the legs are kind of sticking out, and they catch on the door frame, and the glass in the center, I can still see it in slow motion, <laughs> shattered, right in the doorway, <laughs> Now I came to be part of this church, maybe to be trained in ministry. I'd kind of—I mean, I kind of like to impress the guy, and my first impression was breaking his furniture. And uh, he and Susan were so gracious. You know, I think they lied and said uh, we didn't really like that anyway. And you know, they—but they were incredibly gracious uh, with us. And so I got to know Tom a little bit, just, just hearing him preach and just being part of the congregation. And then a couple years later, when I was 24, I was brought on staff there to be part of the adult ministry. And I was actually, at that time, one of eight uh, young men who were under 28 years old who'd been brought on staff because there was this vision, this dream to see the church extend beyond that current generation. And, and so I, Tom really kind of took me under his wing. I got to travel with him to different things at different points, um, we had a lunch with a number of those guys, and Tom would often come, and he'd talk about what it was like to be a husband and what it was like to be a dad, and decisions he'd made, and how he'd lived, and just doing life together. And many a number of years, I got my family and I got to go over to his house for Thanksgiving because he knew we didn't have family here, and so spent time with him there. We loved college football, shared a love for the Big Ten. He loved Iowa. I hate Iowa. But I love college football, and so I got along with Tom. And Tom really was significant in how God called me to plant this church. So I had just so enjoyed my experience at East Valley Bible Church and being part of the leadership there, I thought maybe, maybe I just never want to leave here, but I just had this growing sense that this vision they had to plant churches needed to happen and that I needed to be part of it. So I actually scheduled some meetings with Tyler and, and Tom. Tyler's now our lead pastor and is actually also Tom's son-in-law. And so I, I Got some meetings with them to, and, and my agenda for the meeting was I, I wanted to say, hey, listen, I think we need to plan a church and I think I should lead it. And we sat down, and before I could say anything, they said, We think we need to plant a church and we think you should lead it. Very clear. God was calling us to do this. And then Tom had a really good idea. He said, you know what? This is they, they had planted a church years before, but it had been a while, and he said, we need to make a big deal of this. And he said, you know what we should do? Let's throw a baby shower. For this new church. And so this was his idea, and so we printed up these registries where we said, okay, this much money will pay for a sound system, and this much money will pay for a box of Bibles, and this much money will pay for a changing table, and, and so on and so forth. And, and we uh, gave people that registry, and then we gave people these paper bricks. And we said, well, what we want you to do is, if, if you feel led to give, just give a one-time kind of over-and-above gift to this. And then on the brick, write some sort of prayer that you have for this new church, or something you just would love to see God do. And then come back, and we kind of made these walls filled with all these all these prayers and that church, in that one day, gave us over fifty-five thousand dollars for that baby shower. That was Tom's idea. Can I tell you what a start that helps a new church have? So the trailer we got and all the equipment and if any of you were with us in the early days, all that stuff really came because of that baby shower. His wife uh, Susan was a, a significant influence for Molly and I. You know, we we didn't know really what it was like to be a ministry family. Molly had grown up in a thing where the kind of stereotypical pastor's wife played piano, hosted all the teas, did all the things perfectly, was kind of this like not real person person. (laughs) And Molly was going, it ain't that. And uh, Tom and Susan taught us to be ourselves, to use the gifts God had given us, freed us from that pressure. And Susan was a, a dear mentor to Molly. Actually, during our first preview service for this church, our daughter Caitlin had been born just before, and while I was here at the, at the service, Susan came over to the hospital and sat with Molly and held Caitlin. He's been a mentor. He's been a friend. Uh, so many moments of just side-splitting laughter. Many of those things I can't share with you. Um, laughter In fact, Tom was so influential, you know, as as our sending church pastor, he was so known by our core team that we actually reached a point in the early days of the church where we had to tell people, stop talking about Tom. Because when you just say Tom, 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 no one knows who you're talking about. All these new people who are coming to faith and coming to our church, they don't know this guy. We actually had one woman who said, yeah, I visited this small group and this woman kept talking about Tom. And I thought, well, maybe that's her dead husband. Who is this Tom guy? I mean, no, no, he was the founding pastor. So so that's how much influence he had. And so I've known, as I said, for at least 10 months that a day like this was coming. And my thought had always been that whenever Tom went to be with Jesus, that I would share something along the lines of what I learned from Tom Schrader. But as I reflected on that this week, I realized that we need to tweak that a bit. And rather than just sharing what I learned, because I thought, well, what haven't I learned from him? I thought we need to talk about what God gave gateway through Tom Schrader. Not just what I learned. I learned a ton of things. But but you need to appreciate, whether you knew Tom or not, if you're part of this church, you need to understand there are some things that are part of our culture that we take for granted. And they're here because of Tom. God gave us those things through him, through his influence. So I want to give you three reasons why we should do this today. The first one is from Hebrews 13, verse 7. If you have your Bible still, you can look back at that. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, there's three verbs here. Remember your leaders, consider the outcome of the way of their life, and imitate their faith. We all know leaders who we remember... They taught us, and we've considered the outcome of their way of life. We don't want to go there. We shouldn't imitate their faith. But Tom was someone who preached the word of God, and he lived it. And therefore, it's appropriate that we would reflect on that, imitate that, consider that. So that's the first reason Hebrews 13 tells us to do things like this. Second reason is that this will just bless me personally. I have told people for years that I feel often, as a leader, like a turtle on a fence post. (laughs) What question comes to mind when you see that picture? How to get there. that thing did not climb up there by itself for a nice tan, right? It just, someone put it there. And as a leader, I'm very mindful of the grace of God. And I very often feel like that turtle. But here's what I want you to know. Humanly speaking, the answer to who put it there is Tom put it there. I'm in the position I'm in with whatever kind of passions and heart. And and I have all sorts of shortcomings as a pastor. But however good I am, a lot of it is because I got it from him. And so it feels appropriate for me to honor him. Here's the third reason, though, is we need to know where we came from. We need to know this. And I know the danger here because I remember times when I was a kid. And, you know, you're a kid and you're hearing your parents and they're talking about, you know, great cousin Aunt Ethel. How amazing she was. And, oh, you kind of have her eyes. And you're just like your eyes are glazing over and you're like, Really? I didn't know this woman. I don't care. So I know the danger, because some of you, you've, I mean, Tom preached here multiple times. Many of you know him from that. Some of you have been part of his priority living ministries, or you've seen him other places, or you've seen him at some of the leadership stuff we've done. Some of you don't know him at all, and so I get the danger here that you just might kind of want to glaze over, but I want to tell you, if you're part of this church, you need to know where you came from. There's been a resurgence in this, actually, culturally, uh, where there's so much... uh, So many people that are now getting involved in figuring out their genealogy and ancestry. Did you know that in 2017, the DNA ancestry testing business doubled? Over 12 million Americans have now had their DNA tested through something like Ancestry.com or 23andMe. Uh, They're projecting that by 2024, that industry will do $22 billion a year. Genealogy is actually the second most popular hobby in America right now after gardening. Go figure. And so I think there's something in us. I mean, obviously, a lot of what's driving that is what sort of health things did I inherit that I need to get ahead of. But I think there's just a curiosity in a lot of us. We, we know, if we're honest, we know we're not self-made people. We know that we're a, 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 a result, not just of our home, but of our, of our lineage. And, and if that's true physically, if that's true biologically, it's true spiritually, now, the other thing that I, I, I want to set the record straight on is the word legacy. This is kind of my pet peeve thing, because I'm a sports fan, and I like sports radio. in mean, sports radio, they are constantly misusing the word legacy. This drives me crazy. Or they go, if Tom Brady wins another Super Bowl, what will that mean for his legacy? If LeBron James wins the NBA, What will that mean for his legacy, right? Or you see it kind of in the news, like you heard this a lot with George H.W. Bush. Now that George H.W. Bush has passed, what's his legacy? What's Barack Obama's legacy? What will the Trump administration legacy be? Here's the thing. The way people are using that word is wrong. They use the word legacy to mean reputation, if Tom Brady wins another Super Bowl, what will his reputation be? Will he be the GOAT, the greatest of all time? Well, yeah, obviously, but that's not what legacy means. <laughs> I get worked up about this. Because legacy means something else. Let me show you what legacy means. Here's the definition from Webster Legacy, something transmitted by or received from an ancestor or predecessor or from the past. If Tom Brady wins another Super Bowl, that does nothing for the people who follow him. He leaves nothing behind, but it does something for his reputation. A legacy is what you pass on. And so it's appropriate that we would reflect on the legacy we've inherited that God has given us through Tom Schrader. And this is an important thing before I dive into these things, is this is about what God gave us, not just about Tom. Does that make sense? This is about what God gave us. This was the grace of God, the mercy of God, to give us seven things that I want to share with you that God gave us through Tom Schrader. Here's the first one, is a vision of a big God who saves sinners. Through Tom Schrader, God gave us a vision of a big God who saves sinners. As a preacher, Tom loved to talk about a big God, a God who is holy, who is perfect, who is sinless, who is set apart from everyone and everything else, a holy, sovereign God, a God who reigns, a God who rules, a God who says jump and everything says how high, a God who speaks and the world is created. Tom loved to talk. I don't know how many times I heard him talk about how there is no maverick molecule in the universe because there is a big God who reigns and rules over all of it. Tom had a big confidence in a big God. One of the stories I remember hearing about, this was before I uh, actually was part of, of the church he led, was uh, years before I had been there, his daughter, Sarah, had been in an accident, bad car accident, life-threatening accident. And she'd been in the hospital for a week or so, as I remember the story. Maybe it had been longer, I don't, I don't recall. But uh, th- there came a time where Tom decided, you know what, things are stable at least enough right now, I'm going to go preach. And he went to preach and he had something he was scheduled to to preach on. And all these people at church kept saying to him, oh, she's recovering. God is so good. Oh, she looks like she's going to make it. God is so good. And he decided in that moment he was going to scrap his message and he was going to preach a message, and he did, called God is good even if she dies. Because he believed there was a good, big, powerful, majestic God. Now, here's the thing, if that's true, that there's a big, powerful, sovereign, majestic God, that is only a threat without the second part of the sentence. Because we are sinners, we fall short of the glory of God, we do not honor God, we do not love God, and so if there's a good, holy, righteous, perfect God, we're in trouble unless he saves sinners. But Tom knew that God saved sinners. He knew it personally. He had grown up in Catholic grade school, middle school, high school, college. He frequently liked to joke that he was, uh, had learned under the most poorly named group of people ever, the Sisters of Mercy. <laughs> so he'd been around church. He'd been around the things of God. But he was not a follower of Jesus. And so he moved out from Iowa to Arizona, and got started in commercial real estate, and he lived hard. He told me stories about there were times when he would go out with friends, and they'd start drinking, and he'd wake up in a different city. He lived hard, and he partied hard, and he was not really interested in the things of God, and he started to get into his early 30s, and uh, He knew it wasn't working anymore. There were some guys actually in his office that went to a Bible study every week, a Bible study that was taught by a guy named Larry Wright. Now, if you've been in the Valley for a long time, maybe you know the name Larry Wright because Larry Wright was a DJ on the radio and was pretty well known and came to faith and had started these marketplace Bible studies. And so these guys in Tom's office would go every week to this Bible study. Uh, They never invited Tom, but they would go. And finally one day, Tom's going, my thing ain't working And he asked them, would you guys mind if I went to this Bible study? And they said, well, yeah, sure. So Tom goes and he hears Larry preach and it was like he was the only person in the room and he heard about the mercy and grace of God in Jesus and he became a Christian. He later asked the guys at the office, how come you never invited me? Do you know what they said? We never thought God could save someone like you. (laughs) Now, that should be a warning to us, huh? Who in your life have you written off? Because you've gone, eh, God can't save them. So he'd experienced the mercy of God. He'd experienced the reality that God saved sinners. And because of that, he knew that he wasn't out on a search for God. When he was in charge of his life, he just made a mess of it. So he knew that God had reached down and plucked him out of the path to hell and onto the path of life, that God had reached in and given him a new heart, that God had made him born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. He knew that. And so he preached that. And so Tom was well known for preaching the doctrines of grace, that God saves sinners, that it's not that we ultimately choose God, but that ultimately God chooses us. And here's what's amazing. Because he knew that God saved sinners, so many thousands of people came to faith under his ministry. People think, oh, well, if you believe that predestination stuff, that probably means you don't care about the faith. That isn't Tom Schrader. And here's what I want you to know. God is still saving sinners. If you came here today running from God, disinterested in God, There is hope, there is mercy even today that if you turn in repentance, you turn from your sin, you turn toward Jesus in faith, he will have you because God saves sinners. We've got a vision for that through Tom. Second thing God gave Redemption Gateway through Tom Schrader is a confidence that God's word is true and helpful. In a world of Bible teaching gimmicks, And preachers trying to satisfy itching ears, Tom cut it straight. He preached it straight. He knew the admonition the Apostle Paul had given to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. I have a strong conviction every time I get up to preach that my job is to take the food from the kitchen to the table. The chef has made it. The Lord God has spoken, and I got to get it to the table, and I got to get it there without going, you know what? I'd like to add some ingredients, and I got to get it there without saying, you know what? I don't think this table's going to like that part. Let me take it off the plate. That's my conviction. That's our conviction as a church. Where'd I get that? God gave that to me largely through Tom. He'd open the book. He'd go, I what, you think I got something clever to say? I just got to say this. And yet the thing he did is he did it in a way that was not just true, but also helpful. People who had written off God as irrelevant and boring would listen to Tom and go, man, this is actually interesting. This actually connects with my real life. I think that's a legacy that has been passed on here. I hear frequently from people go, you know what? I, I hear two things. One is I hear people go, it's so nice to be at a place that just teaches the Bible which I always want to go, what else is there to teach? And then the second thing people will say is, I just can't believe I can understand it. And whatever that kind of teaching style that we have, even though myself and Josh Watt and Seth Trout, we're pretty different as preachers, but there's this burden to say, we have to help you see that it's true and it's helpful. It connects with real life. We got that from Tom. Tom would often lean against his pulpit or podium and go, so what? Okay, we taught this, but so what? What difference does this make? And then he'd tell you the difference that it made. We learned that. We got that from Tom. Here's a third thing, and this has been a big one for us, is God gave us, through Tom Schrader, a culture that takes God seriously but not ourselves. already talked about Tom's sense of a big God but Tom also didn't take himself that seriously. He would often wear a suit on Easter, which is not a practice I have continued to emulate. But his joke on Easter would be, you know, because uh, normally he'd wear like Hawaiian shirts and that sort of thing. But he'd wear a suit on Easter, and on Easter he would always say, listen, the only way to get me in a suit is you have to die and I'll do your funeral, or you have to rise from the dead and I'll preach in a suit, you know. But he just kind of, you know, he, j- he just, most of his, uh, most of his uh, well, a lot of the time that I was there... He had long hair, like kind of Jerry Garcia kind of hair, like the kind most people would walk in and go, is that a homeless guy or is he the preacher, right? Like, and actually there was one time he, uh, someone, he was walking across campus one day and someone he didn't even know said, hey, if I give you 20 bucks, will you cut your hair? Just right back. If I give you 50 bucks, will you join a gym? And I just love that story. And Tom would probably go, oh, Luke, don't share that one. But but that was Tom. He was comfortable in his own skin. He knew who he was. He wasn't trying to be somebody else. He wasn't trying to be impressive. That's a real gift. I remember Tom talking about being at Phoenix Seminary, talking to the aspiring pastors who were training there, and he was part of a panel with these other Pastors And all the pastors were talking about how, oh, man, being a pastor is so hard. And especially on Mondays, it's so hard. You're so tired. And, and there's all this criticism from your preaching that wasn't good enough. And you have all these, you know, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> and Tom would just go, I don't know what these guys are talking about. Monday is the best day of the week. I go to breakfast with Susan. I watch Oprah in the afternoon. <laughs> Maybe play golf. It's great. I can't believe I get to do what I get to do. That sense of the privilege of ministry, the joy of ministry, that ministry didn't have to be this thing that crushed you. He had this saying, if Christ died for the church, you don't have to. Relax. You don't need to take yourself so seriously. That is something that graciously we've inherited from him. I'm deeply thankful for it. Fourth thing that God gave us through Tom was a habit of generosity and stewardship. One of the things that amazes people when they come here is they often look at our program, and you won't find it this week because it's early in the year still, but most of the time when you come here, there's a financial surplus, and we don't take an offering. Other than on Christmas Eve, we do that to like a special thing. And it always blows me away. Man, people are so generous here. And I, and I get it. Some of it's our demographic. Some of it's where we are. But there's a spirit of generosity here. And that was the case back at East Valley Bible Church in Redemption Gilbert when I was there. And a lot of it came because Tom was generous. And Tom and the leadership, he established their stewarded things well they had received all those surpluses over all those years and rather than just spending it all they decided to save a good chunk of it and you know what actually was possible because of that when we had planted a daughter church again a second mile church is what we were called um, we were portable for those first few years and and we like a lot of new churches were going man how do we get into something we can use all the time because we're spending so much money to rent something one day a week and how can we get into something but but the problem is you don't have any money you don't have any assets, right? You you can't borrow from a bank because you you don't have any, all you have is a trailer filled with, you know, rocking chairs, right? It's like you got nothing. And so we actually went to East Valley Bible Church and said, hey, would it be possible for us to to borrow the money to build this building from you? And they said, you bet. And you know what? We'll loan it to you interest-free. That's stewardship. That's generosity. That's before we were part of the redemption family. That spirit came from Tom. Many of you know Matthew Brazelton. He's our associate pastor and uh, part of our, one of our worship leaders. And um, the way that he actually came on staff connects with this. when, uh, let's see, it was like March of 2009 and uh, we had had someone that we were, you know, kind of having do worship just every Sunday and we said, you know what, we really need somebody that's going to invest in this a bit more. And so I met with Matthew because at the time he was leading the largest services at East Valley Bible. And I had actually asked Matthew from the very beginning, hey, will you help plant this church with us? And he said, no. His bad, right? (laughs) And my lack of faith, too. If I had thought it through, we may have been able to afford him right away, but I I didn't think that big. And so he said no. And so anyway, so I met with him a few months in and said, hey, we're really looking for somebody. Who could I talk to? Who do you know? Who else is out there, right? And he said, I think you should talk to me. And I said, that ship has sailed. (laughs) No. And he kind of kept bringing it up to me. Hey, because we were buddies. We'd we'd led, before either of us were on staff, we had led a college group together. We'd been friends for a long time. He kept saying, hey, you should, we should talk. And I said, listen, okay, here's the deal. We are not talking about this until you talk to Tom. I'm not doing this behind Tom's back. I'm not going to steal you away. I'm not doing that. So you go talk to Tom, you get the clearance from him, and we'll talk all you want. And he went and talked to Tom, and you know what Tom said, I thought you should have gone with him in the first place. (laughs) Go. Leading more people in worship on a Sunday, and he wasn't going, well, what's that going to do to us? What what did we lose Matthew? No, go. Go. They need you. Go. That is something that God gave us. That spirit of generosity, that habit of stewardship, where did that come from? Well, that came from the fifth thing that God gave us through Tom. It came from a commitment to be an influence beyond this campus and generation. That's what had drawn me to Arizona, and that's what I heard about from the very first moment I was under Tom's ministry, was that that was his dream, to be an influence beyond this campus and beyond this generation. Not thinking, how can we just build one church as large as it can be, but how can we grow fruit on other people's trees? How can we be an influence uh, to people that aren't even going to know about this local church? And that's what's happening even today. Many of you don't know about East Valley Bible Church, you don't know about Tom Schrader, and yet you are experiencing that influence beyond that campus beyond that generation. I remember talking to another uh, pastor from a large church here in the valley who was like, I don't get this whole multi-congregational redemption thing you guys do. It just doesn't make sense to me. He said, it doesn't seem like it's going to work. I said, why? He said, it just seems like you guys have too many leaders. I was like, in what universe is it a problem to have too many leaders? And, and you know what he, what he meant? He didn't say this, but what he meant was it won't work because there isn't one powerful person who can control it all. And he's right. Because Tom had a vision to be an influence beyond the campus and beyond the generation. He would say, Listen, someday we are going to hand the keys of this thing to the next generation. And we're either going to hand them off or they're going to pry them out of our cold, dead fingers. You've heard me say that. I didn't make that up. I got that from him. I've just never been around someone that enjoyed seeing other people succeed as much as he did. I want to be a leader like that. Here's a sixth thing that. God gave us through Tom, is a Christ-like embrace of suffering and pain. Tom loved comfort. He loved to watch TV, smoke a cigar, He loved to eat. But for someone who loved comfort, he really embraced suffering. And he had a lot of it. For the last five years, he's been dealing with lupus, heart issues. He ended up, what he passed away with was his whole body basically full of cancer, He hasn't been well for five years. And about a year before that, his first wife, Susan, passed away after seven years of cancer. He's known suffering. And not just physical suffering, but relational suffering and betrayal and people hurting. And yet, he could endure it. He could not just endure it, but he'd even embrace it. One of the things that he loved to say was, no matter how bad it gets, it can only last a lifetime. (laughs) Because his hope was in Jesus Christ. His hope was in the resurrection. His hope was that this world wasn't all there was. So he would often say, listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is as close to hell as you'll ever get. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, be warned, this is as close to heaven as you'll ever get. His hope was in Christ, and so he embraced suffering. And as I said, not just physical suffering, but but leadership pain and suffering too. When I was 26, uh, in those early days of being on staff there, there were some tense moments. East Valley Bible. The church had grown so fast, and none of them had ever been in any kind of church leadership before. None of them knew what they were doing, and there was a lot of tension between Tom and the elders and the staff. There was a lot of people frustrated by different things, and Tom actually asked the pastors at one point. He gave us a, a survey. He said, "Hey, I want you guys to fill this out. Put your name on it if you want. If you want to do it anonymous, that's fine, but on one side was a number of questions to evaluate the elders. On the other side was a number of questions to evaluate him. And I eviscerated him. And I wrote my name on it. I'm not going to be one of these anonymous critiquers. I'm going to let him know. And I told him, here's what I think is weak about this part of your leadership, and here's what I don't like about that, and here's why I think we need more vision, and da-da-da. I mean, I was very very hard on him. Over the last 10 years, I cannot tell you how many times I have apologized to him. <laughs> I said, Tom, I'm now on the other side of the desk. And I just realized there's things when you're a leader that you know that if other people knew what you knew, they wouldn't be as critical of you. But you can't tell them because that would be self-serving or it would make other people look bad. And so there's just a lot as a leader, you just kind of have to eat. And I was very critical of him. And instead of minimizing me and diminishing me, said, what does he know? He's 26, arrogant, <laughs> idiot. He doesn't know anything. He's not loyal. Instead of doing that, all he did was elevate me. Found out something this week actually that I hadn't heard before, which was that during that season, um, one of the other pastors had gone to Tom and said, "Hey Tom, why are you fighting so hard to kind of hang in here with this?" Because if you knew Tom, he was confrontational from the front, but interpersonally, he did not like conflict. He'd go, "Eh." that was kind of, his thing, "Eh." So this other pastor was going, "Tom, you don't like conflict, like..." why are you engaging in all this conflict? Why are you fighting to stay here when some of these people would really like you to go? And I learned this week what his answer was. He said, if I go, all these young guys are gonna scatter. So I'll stay. And I'll take it. And he did. False accusations bad assumptions, lots of criticism, some of it fair, a lot of it not fair. And he took it for me, who had only ever critiqued him too. Not only ever, but at least during that season. Now, who does that sound like to you? Sounds to me like Jesus. Sounds to me like Jesus a Christ-like embrace of suffering and pain. And I am forever grateful. How could he do that? Here's the last thing that we'll talk about today that God gave us through Tom is hope in what ultimately matters most, being with Jesus. Listen, I want to tell you today, everybody spends eternity somewhere. And it says in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. It's better to go to a funeral than a wedding. What? Why would it be better to go to a funeral than a wedding? Because Solomon says, that's the end of all mankind and the living will take it to heart. You will spend eternity somewhere. And if you have confidence that God saves sinners, and not just that God has saved sinners, but that God has saved you, that can give you a new perspective that embraces suffering, that embraces the idea that ultimately what matters most is not how much comfort and how much stuff and how much influence and how much fame you can get out of this world, but it's being with Jesus. That's what I want more than anything. And I think one of the reasons is because God has given that to me through Tom. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your servant, Tom Schrader, for his friendship, for his love, for his investment and forgiveness and kindness to me. God, for the influence that he's had on this church and beyond this church. God, thank you that you are a big God who saves sinners. We come to you mindful even now that we need your grace. We want your presence. Bring your kingdom to come here on earth now as it is in heaven, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.